husband and wife duo up here, Cameron and Tyler holding it down. Nice work. Um, and uh, isn't that awesome to see our, our moment to celebrate our grads? That's so good. Um, and our awesome, awesome youth pastor that we have uh, just serving and loving this next generation so well and their family so well done. Um, this morning, uh, we are uh, going to preach about Barry Dairy Days, and we're going to play some games. Who wants to play? Anybody want to play a game? No, we'll talk about that later. Uh, this morning, we are doing or continuing our summer series that was started a couple weeks ago. We're staying in, in First and Second Corinthians. All year long, we are looking at these two major books of the New Testament. And this summer, we're taking some of the texts that uh, are kind of an assortment, a variety, small sections. And so it's not like we're spending four weeks talking about communion. We did one week last week with Pastor Joey when he came and spoke. And so uh, each week kind of stands alone. And so if you miss a week because you're out camping or on vacation or something, you're not going to miss out because we've got a great YouTube channel you can subscribe to as well. Uh, but they're all standalone in this way, but we're staying in Corinthians looking at uh, just this dense piece of cake is the way I'd look at Corinthians, right? You just, you ever eat a dense piece of cake? You're like, man, if I eat too much, I got to take one little small bite at a time. And so that's what we're doing with Corinthians all 2022. And this morning, uh, we're looking at this theme or this idea of God is faithful. And our heading for this whole series has been it's complicated. And that idea of God is faithful can be very complicated for people. It seems like as Christians, that should be a no-brainer, right? Like, that shouldn't be complicated. God is faithful. But to really believe that God is faithful, dependable, trustworthy, one that I can build my life on, that gets complicated when real life hits. And we find ourselves in these kind of crisis of confidences, uh, if that's a word. Uh, what's the plural of confident? Is it confidences? Confidence I? Confidences Zs? Uh, anyways, we find ourselves in this crisis of confidence with our faith when change happens. And Paul is writing in this passage all about change. And think about it. We do this not just in the church world, but in all facets of our life. Think about the different crises of confidence that we feel uh, when change happens. And the change that I specifically want to focus in on, because that's where this text lands with us, is the idea that we tie our confidence to a person or a personality or a leader. Think about the trust we put in people. And we see this all throughout culture and in the business world, in our own life, outside of the church and inside of the church. But think about it. Here's a couple of examples. How many of you had a crisis of confidence in Apple when Steve Jobs passed away, right? It's just like all of a sudden it's going to start looking like Windows, isn't it? Yes. I'm an Apple person. If you don't believe that, my child's middle name is Apple. Um, Kenley Apple, no. Yes, it is a fact. Uh, we drank the Kool-Aid. Anyways, how many of you had a crisis of confidence in the office when Steve Carell left? Oh, man. That's how I felt right there. Ugh. And that's kind of how the last two seasons felt. How many of you have a crisis of confidence in the Seahawks right now because Russell Wilson's in Denver? I see that hand. I don't have a crisis because I believe in Pete. But with Russ gone, we put a lot of trust in one person, right? How many of you have a crisis of confidence in your government when your elected officials don't get elected? Oh, now we're getting home, right? We're, now we're hitting home. 
How many of us have a crisis of confidence in your job when your boss resigns? And you love your job. And then your butt, well, okay, some of us love our jobs. Tyler's nodding emphatically. <laughs> but when we experience a leadership change at work, supervisor or boss change, sometimes we're saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And other times we're like, oh, no, what's going to happen now? All those commitments I made with that boss, all those promises that they made, what's going to happen now? How many of us have a crisis of confidence in family when our family goes through a divorce? The whole family institution feels in question because mom and dad or because husband and wife, because your spouse. You feel that. You want to just throw out family. I'm done. I'm done with family. I'm done with marriage. I'm done with love. I'm done with it all. How many of us have a, a crisis of confidence in the church when a pastor leaves? If you've been in church long enough, you've experienced pastoral change, where a pastor will move, a pastor will take another church, a pastor will retire, a pastor will have a moral failure or an ethical failure. I have nothing to confess in this moment. Uh, there's no, no change happening in our lives either. But if you've been in church long enough, you have felt that crisis of, I don't know if I can trust the church anymore. I put a lot of trust in that person. And that person made a lot of promises and built, me, built in a lot of relational equity. And then they move across the country for a bigger church, for a better paying church, to play golf. Or because they acted one way with me, and then it come to find out there was a whole nother life. If you've been in church long enough, you've seen moral failure, you've seen movement, you've seen retirement, you've seen transitions, and it causes us to want to question our faith in church and in God and the gospel, all because we put all of our faith in a person. And so when the person fails, our faith feels shattered. When a person moves away, we feel abandoned. When a person is replaced, we feel incomplete. And I've, I've felt this personally in my own life. Grew up in a small church. When there were pastoral transitions, our youth pastor moved away. I felt devastated when that happened. I felt abandoned. I was serving at another church years later, and we went through a pastoral change. And we went from an, an older pastor that was retiring to a younger pastor that was totally different. And it was jarring for people. I worked at another church, and... and, and Promises were made. John, we're going to do this. We're going to support you, and we believe in you, and we are for you, and we're in your corner. We love your family. We love you. Oh, by the way, while we're making all these promises, we're looking at houses across the country. And we're not going to tell you that. We're going to rip this Band-Aid of transition off. <sighs> that hurt. That made me not want to trust. And what's happening in the Corinthian church is people are going through this crisis of faith because they're looking at their human leaders, they're looking at Paul, and Paul has changed his plans. Paul was supposed to visit the Corinthian church, he changed their plans, and so 
They look at it and say, well, I don't know if I could trust in Paul. I don't know if I could trust in these apostles, these pastors, these leaders, these people. I don't know if I can trust in the gospel. I don't know if I could trust in this God that they preach. I don't know if I could trust in the church. I don't know if I can trust again. That's where it gets complicated. Because if God's people, if God's anointed ones can't do it, can't, I can't trust them. How can I trust God? They had a crisis of faith in the church, and Paul is trying to affirm them, not just to believe in his character and his reputation, but to believe, more importantly, in the faithfulness of the gospel and the faithfulness of God. And so Paul, just to give some context, and Cameron read it so well, in verses 15 through 17, Paul is laying out that, yeah, hey, guess what? Plans changed. Paul had been to Corinthian, uh, the, been to Cor- Corinth, met the Corinthians, that's who they are, Washingtonians are from Washington, Corinthians are from Corinth. He had planted this church. There was a connection. There was a tie. There was an investment. There was relationship. He had gone away to plant other churches. He was just bouncing around. He had written letters to them, and he shows up, and then he doesn't show up, and he he tells them in 2 Corinthians, he says this in verses 15 through 17, because I was confident in this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then have, have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or did I make my plans in a worldly manner so that the same breath I might say yes, yes, and no, no? Like Paul had made plans. He said, I will be there. And then plans changed. How do you feel when plans change? How do you stir inside? Some of us are like, Great. Plans change. No problem. Let's go. Right? Anybody? Some of us are just like, seat of our pants. Let's just go. Here we go. Right? But for others, and I know some people like this, I'm married to one. When plans change, cannot compute, cannot compute, cannot compute. The Corinthians are having a difficult time. How do you feel? Shout it out. Right? Get Pentecostal for two seconds. How do you feel when plans change? Give me some words. Anxious, frustrated, you don't like it. Your husband can watch the podcast. Anyone else? Overwhelmed, stressed, disrupted, unsettled. Plans change, and it's difficult to recalibrate our expectations. I think that was part of the difficulty of the last two years. We would make plans, and then plans had to change. We would make plans. And then plans had to change. Oh, we're going to meet together this time. Nope, we're not meeting. Oh, we're going to stop wearing masks. Nope, we're not going to stop wearing masks. Oh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, nope, yep, nope, yep, ha. How many of you, over the last two years, your trustometer built up, and you got really good at trusting people? Anyone? In the last two years, how many of you began to trust the government better? Anybody trusting their elected officials more? Anyone trusting their leaders more, their bosses more, their pastors more, their friends more? Anybody trusting more over the last? No, because when plans change, I don't know if I can trust you. Because I don't want to invest energy and bandwidth, and then you're going to change it up on me. Well, that's what the Corinthians are doing. Similarly, Paul has changed his plans, and they they don't just think, okay, this changes my calendar. This changes the way that I view Paul. This changes the way that I view his credibility, his reputation, his message, his ministry. 
They not only doubt Paul, but they doubt their faith in Jesus. Because we tend to do this as humans. We put our faith not just in God, we put our faith in people. And they're so interconnected, and our disappointment in people causes us to become disappointed in God. We become disappointed in the church. We become disappointed in the message. I don't know if I can trust this. I don't know if I can believe this. And if I can't believe this, well, then let's blow it all up. I can't trust that pastor. I don't need church anymore. I can't trust this person. I don't need the Bible anymore. I don't need God anymore. I don't need faith anymore. I'll go do it on my own. And the Corinthians are in this crisis of faith. And so Paul is defending himself. He's having to say, like, I didn't flippantly just make these plans and yes, yes, no, no, here we go. He's having to affirm to say, hey, let me prove to you that my message and my ministry have been a symbol of faithfulness. In verses 18 and 19, he says, but as surely as God is faithful, which is our key point today, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. It should really say yes and then no, right? This idea of, yes, we do this. No, we don't. Yes, we do. No, we don't. No, we do. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. So Paul is trying to calm them down, and he understands, guys, hey, I'm getting word that you're doubting me, and you're doubting Silas, and you're doubting Timothy, and you're doubting the message, and you're doubting God. You're doubting all of this, and you need to understand we didn't make these decisions. We understand that there are flaky people in our society. There are people that say one thing and don't do the other, but he's trying to affirm, like, we didn't do it that way. We weren't trying to live that way. We're trying to be untrustworthy, but I understand you doubt my character. I understand you can't trust in me, but what you need to trust in is that God is faithful. What you need to trust in is that the gospel is faithful. The gospel is dependable. The God that we point you to is rock solid and one that you can build your life on. You may not feel comfortable building your life on my personality, but build your life on the message of God. Build your life on Jesus. Build your life on God because he is faithful. Life is going to go up, down, and all around, isn't it? Kind of like a roller coaster. Speaking of roller coasters, that was a fun transition right there, right? It was very subtle. I'll tell you a little story because it, it, it speaks to this idea because life is like a roller coaster. Uh, we just got back from vacation about a week ago, and part of that vacation was uh, a pastoral conference, and the other part that we got to spend our, our, our time and energy on was Disney World as well. And so we took our kids to Disney, and we fed the mouse. And we, yeah, I didn't coin that phrase. I heard it, and I really liked it. But we took them to Disney, and we encouraged our kids, like, this is a yes trip. Anything we say, you got to say yes. But they threw that back at our face, too. When, when we were like, want to go on Pirates? And they're like, man, we said, yes trip, right? And then they're like, cotton candy in the morning? Yes trip, right? They'd throw that back at us. Soda at 10 o'clock at night? Yes trip, you know? So our kids had to go on every ride imaginable that we could find. And we took them on all of these different rides, and there were times where it was dark, and it was fast, and it was loud, and there were drops and dips and different things like that. They liked some of the roller coasters a lot. Splash Mountain kind of got a mixed reception. One of our daughters was like, I love it, it's awesome! And then the other one was like, please, Jesus! <laughs> Maverick just buried his head in, in uh, April's lap. 
we're the world's okayest parents. We went on one ride, and it was this new ride, the brand new Guardians of the Galaxy ride at, uh, at Epcot. We go, and some of the first human beings in the whole world to get to ride this ride. And we're going on this ride, and the thing that freaked our kids out was knowing it was going to be dark. They did not want to be in the dark. They liked all the roller coasters out light and the sunshine and all of that, but being in the dark, that freaked them out. And we go, and we start to get to the front, and the employees are looking at us, and they can see our kids start to well up in tears, and they're like, are you okay? Yeah, they're fine. Get them on. Let's go. <laughs> and April and Mav sit together, and the girls sit together, and then I don't get anybody. And so I'm like locked in, loaded. Here we go. And I'm just like, well, I can't do anything. Yeah! And I just enjoyed it, knowing that right in front of me, my daughters are screaming. And uh, I think they started speaking in tongues. Like they just, <laughs> they were just crying for dear life. Because this ride would take you in the dark, and you start out, and you turn, and then you shoot backwards. Like, you just, vroom, and you go, I don't know, 60 miles, it probably felt like 100 miles an hour, backwards. And you're rotating and turning and going, and, and I can, over the music of Gloria Stefan playing in the background, literally happening, I can hear Kenley screaming for, for Jesus in, in the row in front of me, and we get off the ride, and they're just in tears. And, and the employees are like, are they Okay. And we just pick them up and we hold them. And so the next time we go on a ride, right, we have to teach them like, hey, you made it. It's okay. And, and we're going to go on another ride and another ride. And it's not going to be dark, is it? I didn't, will you be near me? And what we found is what we had to teach them was that lap bar is your stability. If they put that down, you're not slipping out. And not only that, you've got us right next to us. So if you get scared, what do you do? Hold on. Hold on to the lap bar. Hold on to us. We're here with you. You're not alone in this. Grab the handlebars. Grab mom. Grab dad. And that's what they did. And sometimes, man, I didn't realize an 11-year-old could hurt your hand. <laughs> or a 6-year-old could hurt your hand. But they did. But you know what they found is they found strength in that. And then the next time we went on another ride, they felt more confident. And the next ride, and the next ride, and the next ride. And pretty soon, at one night, we shut down Disney World. And we were the last to get out of there. And, and you could just picture Maverick on this little ride. And he's just, yeah, arms up. You know, and my arms around him like, please don't slip out, little man. But he's so confident. Dad's got me. The lap bar's got me. Hands up. Here we go. Life is going to be like those roller coasters. There's going to be dips and drops and dark and turns and twists. And Paul's saying, man, I wish you could trust in me, but more importantly, you need to grab hold of the gospel. You need to grab hold of God in all of this. That's your source of stability. I know you're questioning your faith because my plans changed. Hang on to Jesus right in this moment. And he says this about the gospel in verse 20. He says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What is Paul saying about the gospel message, the good news of Jesus right there? The promises, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises that God has made in history. 
Think of all the promises. What did God promise? He promised to forgive the people of Israel, to restore them, to free them, to liberate them, to save them, to resurrect them, to bless them. All of these promises that you read, they are fulfilled in Christ. There were moments where they got temporary fulfillment at different times through different people, but ultimately the climactic fulfillment of all of God's promises is found in Christ. Jesus is the stamp of saying yes to that promise. God will restore his people, yes, in Jesus. God will forgive his people, yes, in Jesus. The word amen that's used there is a Hebrew word that was used in prayer, and we say it today in church and and at the end of grace. We say amen, meaning, yes, I agree. Let it be. And so when you think of all the promises of God, what Paul is saying is that you look at those promises, they aren't things and promises that change and adapt and, oh, maybe that'll come to be. No, he says, all the promises of God are a yes. Because God is faithful. His message is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Yes, 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 that's going to happen because it came to, came to happen. It came to be in him. And he points our attention to the gospel, and I want us to think for a moment about the the good news of Jesus that is fulfilled through Jesus, what, you know, his his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection, and think about Jesus and and all of that, 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 that good news of Christ, and think about it. Did that align with the plans of mankind? If you've been in church and you've read a little bit of your Bible, you would recognize that the people expected a Messiah that looked way different than Jesus. They expected a chosen one that looked way different than Jesus. The good news of Jesus didn't match the plans of mankind. They expected a ruler, a government official, a king. And instead they got a poor carpenter's son. Does that feel like a change in plans? What Paul is beginning to shape here is to say the the gospel, the good news of Jesus is faithful, but guess what, guys? It's not always going to go according to our plans. The people of Israel expected a king, and they got a carpenter's son. They expected a Messiah that would come and triumph over all of their enemies, and instead they got a Messiah that died on a cross. Did that go as planned? Is that what they expected? No. No. And so what Paul, when he brings the gospel into our field of view here as we're looking at this and the the disruptions and the change of plans in life, and life is going to have changes of plans. People are going to move. People are going to retire. People are going to disappoint us. People are going to hurt us, right? Plans change. Man's plans change. God's plans and man's plans aren't always going to align. It didn't with the gospel. It's not going to align with your plans and your agenda and your calendar and the way you want to see it fulfilled. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, when you look at the gospel, it's not always going to align perfectly and fit what you expected. Yet in all of that, God is still faithful. Because God was still faithful to fulfill his promises, even though he came and fulfilled them in a way that people didn't expect. Because he still restored. He still forgave. He still brought life. He still resurrected. He's still blessed. He's still liberated. He did all the things he said he would do. He just did it in a way that nobody expected. Our plans and God's plans may not always be incongruent. You know, 
was fun sitting here and, and seeing these grads up here sh sharing their plans. And you think of, it causes you to think back about when you were a grad and your plans. And I, I, I do not diminish the excitement and the plans that they have. But we all know that we can make our plans and something may change. Something may not go according to plan. We've all had those moments. And what Paul is reiterating here is things won't go as expected. You may get disrupted, but God is a man of his word. God is faithful. God is dependable. God is trustworthy, even when things feel unsettled, even when things feel unexpected. And he gives this reassurance at the end of this passage that we read because he shifts our focus not just onto the gospel and its dependability, but what God has done through the gospel message in our lives to reassure us of God's faithfulness. Because it's really easy for us to say, yeah, God is faithful, but to live that out. And, to, and so he gives us some tangible things to say, hey, this will help us stand firm when it gets complicated, when plans change. When people disappoint, when you feel unsettled. And in verse 21 and 22, this is what he says. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. How many of you said you feel unsettled when plans change? You feel anxious? Nobody said they stand firm. Nobody, nobody said that. Paul says it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in our calendars, in our plans, in our capacities. Nope, in Christ. That is where we find our strength, our stability, our faith. He has anointed us. He has sealed, he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And so God's faithfulness, when we, we keep our eyes fixated on God in, in the midst of the, the storms and changes of life, Man, what he's saying is it's going to allow us to stand firm, to not be shaken. But then he gets into some of these quick phrases of what God has done in our lives, and I want to just highlight some of these things really quickly of what he has done. Look at, look at this passage and what he has done. He has anointed us, right? Not only can we stand firm, but why can we stand firm? Because we know that God has anointed us. What does that mean to anoint? We are united with the anointed one. Christ is referred to as the anointed one, the selected one, the chosen one, the uh, the, the one where God's spirit anoints and is upon him. You may have seen as Tyler was uh, praying for the students, I, I anointed them with oil very quickly. Why? Because it represents that the spirit of God is upon them and in them. They are anointed. They are chosen. They are called. Jesus was the called, chosen, anointed one, and we are in Christ, we are with Christ, and so we, therefore, as his kids, as his brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the anointed ones as well. We are anointed by him. How does it feel to be picked, selected, chosen? You remember in school when you were selected at recess or in gym class? How many of you, this was your gym class experience? Let's, let's show it, right? I mean, you're just like, it's Jim. Here we go. We're playing baseball. Put me in deep left, coach. But then when you got picked, I think that's like the worst traumatic thing we could do to young children is, is, is make them pick teams. 
I'm exaggerating, of course, but that trauma that we feel internally of, oh, I'm going to be the last one or I'm not going to get picked. But then you got picked. Remember that feeling of getting selected? Oh, man, you just stepped a little higher. You stepped a little faster. You're just like, yes, I'm affirmed. I'm validated. I'm believed in. I've got confidence, right? Here we go. Even if you were terrible at the whatever game it was, you're like, I feel I could do a little bit better because I was selected. And God has looked at each and every one of us and said, I choose you. So I'm sorry if this brings up some PTSD for some of us from gym class. But you know what? That's how we are. We are ordinary people trying to be superheroes. And God looks at each and every one of us. Even You might say, well, every one of us. Yes. Not just those of us with pastor in front of our names. He looks at each and every one of us and says, I choose you. I picked you. You're on my team. I've got plans. I've got purposes. I've got, I've got things I want to partner with you in doing. I've anointed you for this. See, when plans change, we need to know that we've been chosen. We've been selected. He says that his, he's sealed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. How many of you do this? This idea of stamping and identifying us as his kids, his creation, his family, right? In ancient times, they would, they would send a message and they would seal that message up and then they would put wax and they would stamp it with a, a stamp or a ring or a, an insignia that was representative of the leader that was sending the message. So when you saw that, it was like, oh, that's a message from so-and-so, right? Well, we don't send a lot of waxy messages anymore. But how many of you do this? You label your stuff, right? How many of you have toys that you've labeled with your name on it for your kids, right? You've gone full Buzz Lightyear and just like, yep, we're going to label everything. How many of you got tools that you wrote your name on? You've got yard tools and rakes and shovels and things. You've got items that we bring to an event, we bring to a gathering, we loan out to somebody, and what do we do? We inscribe our insignia. We write our last name. My kids make fun of me because everything we own says NALT all over it. Everything. I have a bucket of baseballs that I use for Little League. Every baseball I signed. NALT, 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 NALT. 50 baseballs. I hope they know they're mine. Why? We do this. We label these things. So that when we lose them or they go away or somebody borrows it or they get away from our grasp, they come back. Because people will look at that baseball, they'll look at that hammer, they'll look at that drill, or they'll look at Buzz Lightyear and they'll know this is who they belong to. Well, God has labeled us as his children. So when we get distant, when we go on our ways, when we go on our journeys, when we feel far from God, we can remember that we've been labeled sons and daughters of God, that his name is imprinted on us, his seal of ownership. We are his. And we, as separated as you might feel, are his, and we could be brought back to him. The other thing that Paul highlights, that he has deposited his spirit in us. So he's anointed us, he's sealed us, and he's deposited his spirit in us. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives as a reminder of his faithfulness and a proof that God is faithful, that God is alive. The term that's used in the original language for that deposit of the spirit 
that is in our lives. Jesus says when you, when you say yes to following him, his spirit is within you. Well, the, the term that's used there by Paul in this passage is a financial term, very much like a down payment or a deposit. And if you're buying a house or you've bought a house, what did you usually have to do unless it was 2008? You had to put a deposit down. That was a sly joke at the economy. But you put a deposit down. Why would you put a deposit of money down? To show intent. I intend to buy this house. This is mine. I intend to live here and inhabit it and mine. It's guaranteeing not only ownership, but I intend to pay the rest. And what Paul is saying is he has put his spirit in our lives, the Holy Spirit in us as a deposit, as a down payment to say, hey, I'm alive, I'm faithful, I'm at work in you, and you're going to get a taste of heaven here on earth. You're going to get a down, a down payment, a deposit of heaven here on earth. We're going to get a taste of heaven because we've got the spirit of God living in us. We get a foreshadow of what's to come presence of God. And the Holy Spirit is in our lives to guide us and teach us and comfort us and inspire us and to counsel us, to convict us, to empower us. And it's to show that God is alive and God is faithful and God is with us. He has deposited his spirit in us. And I think what Paul is, is doing here is he's, he's steering their focus towards the faithfulness of God. And saying, I know plans have changed, and I know you're unsettled, and I know you're bothered. I know you can't believe in me. But when you're in the middle of an unsettling, changing time, how many of us need to be reminded that God has chosen us? That God has identified us as his. And that God is with us. He's invested in us. He is present with us. And more than anything, what he's doing is saying, this is what you build your life on. This is how we stand firm in our faith. When everything else is a disruption, when you're on that roller coaster that's flipping you upside down in the dark, and you're listening to Gloria Stefan really loud, and you don't know what's going on, and mom and dad are not close, hang on to that handlebar. And how do you hang on to that handlebar? You hang on to the fact that God has anointed me, sealed me, and deposited his spirit within me. He has chosen me, identified me, and promised to be with me. That's going to give me the strength to move forward. That's going to give me the strength to say, God is faithful. People are not faithful. People are fallible. I will fail you. A lot of pastors like to say that from the front, right? You will be disappointed in me. but you will not be disappointed in him when you learn that he is faithful. He is rock solid. He is the one that we trust in. And, and, and my heart in this is to continue to create a culture and an environment where people feel that it is safe to say, you know what, I feel unsettled. I feel anxious. I've got questions I don't know how to answer. I've got questions I don't even know how to ask. Is it safe to wrestle and grapple with this? And I'm standing up here so confident, and I've got all the answers, right? No, you need to know that this is a safe place to wrestle with those answers. You're hearing me say God is faithful. You might be saying, but I don't know how. What does that look like? 
explain it to me more. And that's because we are in a moment in our culture where people are, are disassembling their faith. For a variety of different reasons, and the moment or the reason that we're highlighting today is a lack of trust in Christian leaders. We've disassembled our faith and we want to throw it all out. And this can be a safe place, a safe community for us to continue to explore and ask questions and continue to pursue and see that, yes, people will fail us, but ultimately we can see and hopefully continue to cling to God is the one that is faithful. God is the one that is dependable. God is the one I can put my trust in. And if you're wrestling with that, I'm glad you're here. If you've got questions, you need to know that it is safe to ask those questions. You are not a bad person for wrestling with your faith. The church should be the safest place, shouldn't it? It should. And I don't have all the answers. Tyler doesn't have all the answers. Your life group leader doesn't have all the answers but we run to the one who does. We run to the God of truth. We run to the God that is our rock. We run to the God that is faithful. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now for anybody that relates to this feeling of the Corinthians, that they feel unsettled, they feel anxious, they feel uh, a time of wrestling or unresolved, spiritually speaking. They just, they can relate to what the Corinthians wrote to Paul. And I pray right now, Jesus, that you would continue to make yourself known. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts and minds in a new way in a fresh way, in a genuine way. God, we thank you that you are one that we can trust and we can put our lives on, build our lives on. And we come to you. And I pray that you help us keep our eyes fixated on you and your faithfulness. Jesus, I thank you that you are a man of your word. Be our strength, be our confidence, be our stability. In all things, Jesus, we trust you. In your name we pray, amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.